Good morning. Good morning. Oh, I like that. You guys are awake today. All right. If you guys wouldn't mind going ahead and turning to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, we'll get there in a minute. Give you guys a few minutes to get there. Um, well, welcome. I, I, I want to say a lot of new faces uh, that I, I've had a chance to, to meet. Some of you haven't today, and, and uh, uh, we, we're always privileged that we have those who would come and, uh, come and join us. As, as many of you know, uh, a lot of our, our men have been gone this weekend on a, on a retreat, so as I look out, I see uh, a lot of unfamiliar faces, because a lot of the familiar faces are gone, so you guys stick out. No. Uh, and, and so it's good. Yes, no, it's good. And most of you are, are also familiar, but it's good to see new faces that the Lord just continues to bring uh, people here. We trust in, that you'll be blessed today. We trust that, uh, that, uh, that you will uh, find this to be a very uh, much a family. We, we like to pride ourselves in, uh, not pride ourselves, but we, we just love the, the fact that we consider ourselves to be a Calvary uh, family. We love one another, and I hope you feel welcome today. Uh, what a privilege it is to teach uh, this week, as Rory and, and many of the men are away at a men's retreat in Corvallis, and, uh, and Rory has the privilege of, of speaking there, uh, and, uh, and he sent me a text that I'm, I'm praying for you, bud, and, uh, and I sent him one likewise, buddy, but what, a, what, a, what an honor uh, for him to be able to speak, and, and, uh, and I likewise consider it uh, an honor every time that I have an opportunity to, to stand before uh, my family and be able to deliver uh, what I believe the Lord has laid upon my heart. Uh, but let's remember uh, this week to continue uh, to pray for these husbands and these fathers uh, that the seeds that were planted this weekend, the, the work that God is doing, and, and not just in the, in the meetings themselves, but even those, those car rides over are so special. They're wonderful times of discussion and, and, and growth and discipleship. And then the opportunity to be there and to have uh, an intensive time of, of, of just learning and truth delivered. Let's, let's pray that those seeds this week will continue uh, to bear much fruit, that, that that will affect our families, that that will affect our church, and, and as an effect, that will, that will reach out and it will span into our community. You know, this, I have to admit, this morning, I, I, I'm struggling a little bit this morning. I, I just, uh, just pray, Father, that you would speak to us today. And Lord, I feel confident because the, the words that I'm going to, to, to speak from today are your words. They're red letters in my Bible. And, and so, Lord, they, we know that, that the red letters that we read are truth. And God, I just, I just struggle because I know the message that you've given me on my heart. And Lord, I just pray that you would, that you would help me and guide my, guide my thoughts, Lord. Guide my words that they would be your words, not mine. Lord, we, we thank you and we trust that you will speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, so often, uh, as, as it would be, we, we like to, um, to teach, especially in these, these special times. As you know, the Calvary Chapel model, we typically go through uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we walk through the scripture together. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, opportunity there to just be able to look at the scripture in context, in, in, in the moment. And, and, and that's a really, really powerful thing. And, and, and I'm so grateful for that. So these times when we're given opportunities to, to teach uh, what I'll say outside of that, these special times, uh, a lot of times it's, it's easy for us to teach what's going on right in front of us. 
or what we're dealing with in our, in our own life. And I confess there is some of that today. But it would be easy to stand up if that was the sole focus. It would be easy to stand up here and deliver a sermon to you specifically on, on trials and endurance. God knows we've had our, our share lately. And, and in my family, we've been walking through some, some uncertainties and some times that we've never faced before. So it, it would be natural to want to, to stand up here and preach on, on, on God's faithfulness and his sovereignty and, and, and other things. But today I'm going to preach on something that the Lord actually began to really lay on my heart about five years ago. And and lately I've been feeling more and more compelled uh, in obedience to this. The the Lord shows us things uh, during seasons and he shows us things for for a reason. And so I I feel compelled to be obedient to, to the things that the Lord, I feel he's laid on my heart. So as, I, uh, as I'm given opportunities to speak, if there's opportunities, there, there's going to be an opportunity for me to, to, to speak to you what I feel like the Lord has, has laid on my heart, both for, both for this body, but also for, uh, for the church. And that's not to say that what's happening right now isn't relevant to today's message, because it is, uh, as I believe it's extremely relevant, and, it, and it's my hope that you will too. For those of you who were here in in late October of last year, you may have heard me speak on what God is doing in our church and what God has done in my life over the past few years. Just for a a quick synopsis, I, I spoke on three houses that we first lived in since we moved back to Prineville in, in July of 2008, basically about seven years ago. And each one of those houses was, was symbolic. I don't know if you guys recall that, so I'll just go through them real briefly because uh, it's, it's just an important foundation to lay. You see, house one was the first house that we moved in when we got back here. And, and I referred to that as the house where I was broken. You know, it was a, it was a time of great trial. It, 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 uh, what we're going through right now pales in comparison. What we're, we're going through right now is, is, uh, is really more of something that God is bearing fruit in our heart and, and maybe calling us to do. But, but at that point, it was a time of, uh, of, of walking through darkness. It was, it was a time of, of walking through trial that was brought on by things that were going on in my life and in our life. And so that was the house where, where the Lord broke me. He finally got me to that place where, where he could work and, and deal with the issues that were, that were going on inside of me. I'm so thankful for that time. House number two, I like to refer to as the house where I was redeemed. It was, a, it was another special time. And those of you who have been around for uh, this year's prayer and fasting, it's something we do uh, now every year. And it's bore much fruit in this body. And it was during a time of prayer and fasting that the, the Lord began to, to work some things in me that had never happened before. More, most specifically, and many of you who have who've maybe heard a little bit of my testimony, my story, that was, that was a time where the Lord began to, to deliver me and to bring me through some of the sin and the patterns that had been so deeply rooted in my life for so long. And he began to bring deliverance. It was, it was a, an incredible time, one I will never forget, and, and one to which I'm eternally grateful to him for. And then house number three I like to refer to as the house 
uh, I was awakened. And what's interesting, I, I, I would, it would be important to mention that all three of these homes, uh, it, was, it was an interesting sequence of events. In the first two homes we were in, the, the, uh, the owners of those homes uh, had lost them at some point during our tenure of renting them to the bank. And so both of the times we had to, to move out. So in each one, we were barely there for, uh, for a few months, uh, in one case, almost a year. But it, was a, but it was a powerful time of the Lord's work in my life. But house number three, uh, which, which ironically was also the first one that we moved into that was the most stable, uh, was also the house in which I like to say I was awakened. It was a, it was a time uh, of incredible work uh, in my life, uh, the Holy Spirit moving in ways I'd never had him move in my life personally like that before. You see, for, for much of my life, I'd, I'd, I'd watched others, I'd seen God at work, I'd heard stories of God doing things in others' lives, and I'd largely looked at mine and said, oh, that would be nice, Lord, I'd, I'd love for you to do that in, in me. But, I had, uh, but it was also a time where the Lord began to awaken in me a hunger for the Word. So another one of these prayer and fasting seasons came along, and the Lord began to, to ignite in my heart a hunger for His Word. And it, and it grew and it manifested and it became more than just a hunger for his word. It was a craving. It was, a, it was something I, I couldn't satisfy with anything else. Nothing, nothing that the world could offer me was as satisfying as the word of God. And to feed on that was like, it was like eating bread. It was, like eating, it was actually like eating steak. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was filling and it was, and it was delightful and it was, and it was necessary. My body needed it. My spirit needed it as much as my body needed food. And, and really, today's message is born out of a continuation of that story. It is born out of that awakening that God has brought to my life. You know, if, you, if, you, if you've spent much time, if you know me, you know that I'm excited and passionate uh, about three things in particular. And this wasn't always the case. I was passionate about a lot of things. But as the Lord has begun to shape and to mold and to, and to take our life and, and to move it in a direction, I've become passionate about three things. I'm passionate about what God is doing in this church. I'm passionate about what God is doing on the earth. And I'm passionate about obedience to his calling. But that wasn't always so. See, five years ago, when we, when we turned back that clock, he began to awaken some profound things in me. The Spirit began to speak to my heart about the lost and bringing to remembrance a significant and powerful experience that began to lead to an urgency within my own spirit, an urgency as I looked around me and I, and I saw that there were people around me who were lost. And I, and I won't go into the depth of the story, but it, but it happened back in my college days. And it was maybe the most profound individual experience with the Holy Spirit that I've ever had in my life to this date. It was unexpected. It was not something that I was seeking after. In fact, it was at a time in my life where, quite honestly... As we'll get into this, into the scripture a little bit, uh, it was not during a time where, where I would expect the Lord to be speaking to my heart. But God doesn't always, His timing is perfect. We know that. He, his timing works for His purpose and for His cause and for His glory. 
And so at that time, for whatever reason, why that was the right moment, he chose to show me something. And as I sat in a chapel service, he spoke to my heart that there were people who, whose hands were raised up and were praising the Lord. And, and mind you, this was college. We were, we were young where we were excited. It was, it was a time in my life where maybe I would even say I was a little, I certainly wasn't mature in Christ, but I was a little naive. I believed we were all there on this Christian campus because God had called us there for a purpose to go and save the world regardless of what our professions were. And I spent a lot of time during that season of my life hiding from things that, that, that maybe would be something now I want to pursue. So I spent a lot of time not trying to stand out in, in terms of ministry. So it was not a time in my life that I expected the Spirit to do this. But he showed me a picture And he showed me, he said, that there are people here whose hands are raised up and they're worshiping God alongside of you and they're not going to be there. And for the first time in my life as the naive student, as the, as the kid who had grown up in the church his whole life, as the kid who had been a model youth group student and had, had been his youth pastor's uh, favorite, so to speak, my life was shaken to the core that day. Oddly, not enough to, to enact a lot of change, but it caught me so off guard that I could do nothing but weep. And so, as, as, as that, the Lord began to move in my life and to change these last few years, he brought back that remembrance and he began to burden me in urgency. And he also began to burden me in a, an awakening. As I looked around and I, and I saw what was going on around me. And, and, and that's why, you know, today we can look around, we can see events that are taking place in the, on the earth, and we can, we can say, wow, things are changing. But five years ago, it seemed like there wasn't much concern uh, about what was going on. And, and yet the Lord began to show me, he began to, to work in my heart, and he said that, that, that you're, you've been asleep, and there are others who are asleep And during that time, he began to work in me in other ways, like calling me to specific acts of obedience. And I won't go into those either today. But, but, it, was a, but it was an incredible time of, of him asking me to step out on the water. But it was a sobering realization that much of the world, much of the church was, was sleeping at perhaps one of the most pivotal times in history. And I began to question, how could this be? As God began to show me things, my concern for what I saw happening around me began to grow, and I began to sense the Lord was telling me to speak about it. This message today could easily be broken up into, into multiple messages. There's, there's a lot of scripture that we're going to cover, but I'm, gonna, I'm really going um, really to hone in on, on one section in particular. But, you know, we have a tendency to do this as teachers and preachers of the word, and it's a good thing to really narrow in and focus. We can, we can maybe go through an entire chapter of Scripture, uh, and it might take us several teachings to do it. There's so much truth in the Word. There's so much meat for us to draw. There's so, much things, there's so many things for us to chew on and to digest and to, and to take in to feed our spirit. But I'm going to teach this today the way that I believe Jesus taught it as recorded in Matthew 24. And then I'm going to hone in on a couple specific points. And I hope it will be an encouragement to you who are of faith. And I pray that it will be a call to faith for those of you who are not. And may it be a time of repentance for me and a time of confession. 
So if, you, if you'll open to, to uh, Matthew 24, if you're not already there, I want to start by pointing out something. Today is a lot about perspective, and I titled this message a perspective on the soon coming return of Jesus. And, and one of the great things I love about Jesus is that he looked for teachable moments, especially with his disciples. He, he always looked for an opportunity to teach. He, he often taught in parables. He looked for, for moments and opportunities. They would point something out to him, and, and he would tell them a parable, and then they would come and ask him to explain it. And this is one of those teachable moments. I just want to set the picture for you. So they're, they're, they're walking outside the temple, and, and in the account in Luke, it even talks about how they were specifically pointing out some of the grandeur and, and the gems and the stones, for example, that, that adorned the temple. And, and so they, they, they show him, Jesus, look, do you see these buildings? And Jesus takes that moment right there to give them a powerful teaching. And if we pick it up right there in verse 1, I'm going to read all of Matthew 24. I told you there would be a lot of scripture today. But we're going to hone in on one specific section. But, but we see this. He's come to this moment, and, and there, there's a teachable moment. And he says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And you can imagine in this moment as they're pointing out the grandeur of the temple, as they're, as they're making an opportunity, how this must have caught them by surprise. As, as they see these, these massive buildings, these monuments to, uh, really to the God that they have been worshiping. There have been sacrifices at the temple. There's these, these grand, grand stones that have been built and, and raised up. And he says, not one of those is going to remain upon the other. They're all going to be thrown down. And, and we know if we go to Israel today that those stones have been thrown down. But this intrigued his disciples, as often his words did. You see... Uh, I listened to an interesting teaching from Francis Chan this week, and, I, and it, was, it, was really, it was really powerful. I don't normally actually listen to Francis Chan. It just happened I caught this one in particular. But it spoke to me because it talked about how, how when Jesus talked about the fertile soil, the disciples always came up to him and, and asked him about that. What, Jesus, what did you mean? He says, see, you're the fertile soil because you're coming to me. You, under, you understand, all these people, they, they don't understand. I'm speaking to them and, and they don't have eyes to see and they don't have ears to hear. But, but you have ears to hear. You, you come to me. And so he explains to them what's going on. So we see, we see this as a recurring pattern with the disciples. It says, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. Will betray one another. Will hate one another. Sound familiar? Then many false prophets will rise and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound... 
the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For, whenever, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Verse 32, Now learn this from the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And here's where I want you to pay special attention. You see, Jesus has, has just given them something pretty incredible. You know, I, we read through it quickly, but, but, but they come to him and they ask him, Lord, when, when, will, this, when will the temple be destroyed? And what will, what will be the sign of your coming? See, they expected him to return. What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So we see Jesus describing multiple things here. And, and we're not going to focus on all those multiple things today, but we're going we're to start to narrow and we're going to start to hone in here. It says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were... So also will the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore... Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then 
is the faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. Another translation says, my master has delayed his coming. And begins to beat his fellow servants. And to eat and to drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And in an hour that he is not aware of. And will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I just feel the need to pray again one more time. Father, these are your words. Lord, I pray that, that your word would go forth in power today. To convict our hearts, to speak to us, Lord. To show us things. Lord, I pray for faithfulness. I pray for, for the ability to, to watch. I pray for the ability for us to be watching for your coming. I pray for the ability to speak the words that you would have me to speak. Lord, these are your words. We, we trust you today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus gives us in this passage an incredible, an incredible truth. And this is, this is what, what the Lord began to speak to my heart There's a lot of things that we do in our Christian walk. It's quite, and these are not bad things. We, we, we like to, to study, we like to read, we like to learn, we want to grow. We read books, we, you know, we seek out knowledge. We want to uh, in, increase our, our understanding of the Lord. And those are good things, but he gives us a really powerful truth right here that I believe is specific, and I believe it's something that we need to, to pay attention to today. And it has to do with the faithful servant and the evil servant. And, and today my goal is not really to talk about times and, and dates. When is the Lord coming back? We, you know, it's easy to look around at what's happening in our culture right now. It's easy to see what's going on, and, 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 and it elicits a lot of responses from us. For me, it was, it was very easy. Uh, it was a temptation this week to be discouraged. As we see our nation moving in a, in a direction, that we see things changing before our eyes. It's, it's easy to, to want to speak just to those things, or it's, it's easy to want to label that and say, we're in the end times, we're in the last days. And while I believe that, that much of that is true, that's not really the point of what, what, I want to, what I want to bring to you today. You see, because for 2,000 years, people have been talking about the return of Jesus. For 2,000 years, they've been, they've been looking at what's going on around them, and they've been seeing things. Now, I want to, I want to, to bring to you a compelling picture today that, 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 that shows you that I believe we're living in unprecedented times. But that's not, that's not the point. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He does admonish his disciples to look. He says, you can see the seasons. You can look around. You can see what's happening. And you, and you can know. You can know that, that it's drawing near. You can know that the time of your redemption is coming. 
You know, when Jesus paralleled this story in, in Luke, he actually, he actually talked about how, you know, when we see these things happening, not to, not to be distressed, not to be concerned, but to lift up our heads, for our redemption is near. You know, for, the, for the believer, these are not things to be feared. These are simply signs. But there's a deeper thing, a deeper truth here that I want to pull out today. And, and this perspective, that I, want, I want to talk about that because perspective is, is really key for a lot of things. The perspective that we're talking about is, is the re- soon return of Jesus. You know, perspective is, is, is often defined as a, a particular attitude. An, an attitude towards something or a way of regarding something. A point of view. An outlook, a frame of mind. That's, that's how we would define a perspective. And Jesus is giving us here not just a perspective, but he's giving us a, a very powerful tool. And I, and I think we need to avail ourselves of this. And in fact, I would make the argument that, that has been the lack of availing ourselves of this tool that has actually led us in many of the directions that we see. When we talk about a church that's maybe that's asleep, or we talk about people who, 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 have, who, have, who have lost their way, who have turned their back on, on God... There, there's something here that, that, that the Lord is showing us that, uh, that is so powerful and so simple. You know, we, we often try to make things so complicated, but Jesus boils it down to this. He says, the faithful servant, the one who is watching for his return. This perspective that I'm, that I'm talking about is, we could call it a doctrine of the imminent return of Christ. You see, it's keeping that focus, it's keeping that perspective. And as we look at these two examples, we're going to contrast them briefly. But Jesus takes this example and he boils it down to where he gives us a picture of a faithful servant. And then he gives us a picture of an unfaithful, or as he terms it in here, a wicked servant. And and it would be interesting, you know, this idea of watching. You know, in 1 Thessalonians... Uh, Paul talks about, now brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we need not write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this, this day should surprise you like a thief. You are children of the light and children of the day, we do not belong to the night or the darkness. So let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. You see, we see this picture throughout Scripture. This is, this is Paul. So we have Jesus saying, watch. We have Paul saying, watch. We have Peter who says also to watch. In 1 Peter 4, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He no longer should live, like the rest of his, uh, should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And he goes on, I'm going to skip down, he says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. 
And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. You see, there's this theme uh, of being watchful. There's this theme. Jesus talks about it multiple times. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. And as I began to read, the Lord just began to illuminate this in, in my heart. A lot of the things that we walk through, a lot of the trouble that we walk through, I believe can be traced back to this idea that, that Satan has from the beginning been planting this, this, this seed in our minds that causes us to doubt or, or in a practical sense to live out a doubt of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So it's not really about setting dates, it's about watching it's, and it's not just about watching what's going around, uh, uh, along so that, you can, so that you can know when he's going to return. It's, about, it's much bigger than that. It would be a disservice if we just talked about watching the events that are going on around us. It would be a disservice if we just mentioned this as walk, watching world events. He's, he's talking about keeping watch over your very mind and your very heart and, and, and your soul. He's talking about abiding in Christ. So let's take a look. Let's, let's break this down for, for a moment, these perspectives. So as we've seen, the scripture is full of admonishment to keep watch, to stay awake, to be aware. And I believe Jesus is laying out an incredibly important truth that, that, that the apostles both reinforce in several places throughout the gospel. This doctrine of his imminent return. So we look first at the faithful servant. Who then is the faithful and wise servant who the master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. So, so what do we see? What are some of the, the things that we can draw from, from this faithful servant? I would think one of the most important, and, I, and I'm just going to mention it right from the get-go, is that the servant is feeding on Christ. You see, when we, when we come to him, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who drinks from me will never thirst. And, and, I, can, and I can draw this back to that parallel I was sharing with you in, about my life and about this awakening that began to happen. And so as the Lord began to draw me to him, as he began to give me this hunger for his words, and, and this was not something I'd known before. You see, I grew up in the, in the church. I grew up, as I mentioned, as in, in youth group and, and always being a part of what was going on. But, the, but I never had a love for the word. And as, as the Lord began to birth that in me, it began to change my life. And he says, he who, who comes and drinks from me will never thirst. You see, this faithful servant, he comes hungry and he comes thirsty. Do you ever go through those seasons of, of coming to church and, and, and you're just walking through the motions. You're, you're, just, you're just coming. You're just, you're just being, you know, you're doing what you, what you know you're supposed to do or what you believe you're supposed to do. But that's not the faithful servant. The faithful servant is coming hungry and he's coming thirsty. And, he, and he's feasting on Christ. This believer who is fully satisfied and growing in Christ, who, who himself is full, will have so much to give. You see, life begets life. If you feed on life, you will have life to give. It's, it's a simple idea. It's a simple truth. Why we complicate it, I'm not sure. But, but Paul goes on to say, if you, if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap life. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. He says, don't be deceived. This is, this is, a, this is a simple equation. Life begets life. 
So this faithful servant is feeding on Christ because if he's going to be faithful in giving food to, to those who, who, he's, who he's ministering to, then he himself has to be full. So this believer who is fully satisfied and growing in Christ, he'll have much to give. You know, I, I know that there's a, there's a temptation to think of this just, uh, even in some of the commentaries that I, that I read, uh, you know, talk uh, very specifically uh, about how, since he's talking about servants, uh, certainly that, that that relates to us as ministers of the gospel. And, I, and I'm going to talk about that in, in, in a few minutes. But, but yes, as ministers of the gospel, this is true. We need to be full. We need to be able to give. We need to be able to, to, to speak words of life and words of truth. And, and much of this... Much of what we are seeing happen, much of, of what we see when we, when we leave this doctrine of imminent return, I believe is much of, of, of what we see at the root of some of the problems that we see going on inside the church. But this isn't just about ministers. I, I don't believe that Jesus is speaking here just about ministers. He's speaking about all of us. And, and, and you know as a church, we exist to make disciples in our city and of all nations, who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. So if we're going to make disciples, we ourselves have to be disciples. We have to be feasting on Christ. We need to be abiding in Christ. You know, how, how as men can we, can we give something to our wives, to our family, to our kids? How can we, how can we as, as, as men and women... Uh, be able to, to, to have something to give our co-workers, to have something to give this world out there that's, that's hungry and lost and, and dying. And, and if we're not abiding in Christ, we don't have life to give them. And, and if we ourselves are becoming like the wicked servant, which we'll get into in a moment, then, then what we have to offer the world is, is nothing other than death, which it already has. You know, so families, co-workers, those that are in our care, those that are in our sphere of influence, friends... The, the faithful servant has something to offer. And that, and that sp- goes right into the next piece, which I believe is so essential to the, what God is doing in this church. This is a servant who is making disciples. Disciples are called to make disciples. Giving food in due season. He's talking about the opportunity, the ability for, for that servant to be able to feed others. This is a servant who is faithfully at work. One of the marks of this abiding in Christ, of this growing in Christ, is that we will be compelled, as we become mature in Christ, as we become disciples ourselves, we'll become compelled to make disciples. That's what we're called to do. That's what the Great Commission calls us to do. That's what God is doing in this church, and we see it so clearly. And it's exciting. But that is the faithful servant. So this perspective of, of the one who is keeping watch, who is abiding in Christ... But just a couple of verses later, and I want you to pay close attention to this. It says, But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him into two, and appoint him with his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But we see this unfaithful servant, and the first thing that I want to draw out from this is that I believe, and, and, and many agree, that this is actually the same man that Jesus is talking about in this parable. He, he's, he's not talking about two different servants here. He says, but if that servant, that evil servant, says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, 
The master of that servant will come on a day he is not looking for him and an hour that he is not aware of. So this is the same man. And, and, and so I believe this is, this is a word for us. It's a warning. Jesus is giving us a warning. He's saying, and it's very clear here, it's a very simple idea, that if you lose sight, what is this guilty servant, this evil servant guilty of? It says that he, that he simply took his eyes off of Christ and the return of Christ. And you see, when that happens, all sorts of evil suddenly becomes uh, open uh, wide to us. Because that's in our nature. That's what this man is guilty of. That's the first thing he does. It happens in his mind. This isn't even necessarily something he verbally speaks out. It's something that enters his heart. It's a thought that enters his mind. And I want you to pay attention. This is a believer. He calls him Lord. He would not call him this if he never believed. The, you know, the, the illustration of the parable here is showing us about somebody who calls him Lord, but he loses sight. The, the enemy, the evil one, comes in and sows a seed. And he begins to doubt the return of Christ. And I should say he begins to doubt the imminent return of Christ. What are some of the consequences that we see here? Well, first we see that he begins to beat the other servants. And, and as, I was, as I was saying, where I felt like this is, this is something that is, that is a cause, it is, it is a causing effect of some of the problems that we see in the church. This is a believer that begins to, to beat the other servants. His own fear drives him to mistreat the other workers. You see, he sees them at work. He sees them faithfully moving and serving and doing what the master has called them to do. And for whatever reason, whether it be the sin in his own heart, whether it be this, this, this love of the world that, that, this, that he has started to build up in his, in, his, uh, in his heart and in his allegiances, but this fear drives him to mistreat the other workers. You know, it drives us easily to change the gospel to a gospel of accommodation. And I, and I think it's obvious that we can look out and we can see this today. And some of my discouragement came as I, as I told you this story about, about people who I went to school with, about people who I've known for many, many, many years, who I worshipped with, who, who I spent time with. I can't tell you the number. It, it hurts my heart. I can't tell you the number of those that have, that have at one point in time, by all looks and appearances, had, had a had a, a, a relationship with Jesus as Lord at some point. We could say that, that perhaps they never did, that, that, a faith that, in, uh, that saves is a faith that endures, but at least from outward appearances, these were people who, who, who looked like they had a relationship with God. But at some point, they lost sight of the imminent return of Christ. At some point, they got caught up in this world and its message. They began to love the things of the world. They began to get drunk. This, this, this passage that he's talking about isn't just referring to, to somebody who goes and starts drinking at the bar. He's become intoxicated with the world. He's, he's eating and drinking and becoming drunk with the drunkards. It's not just, it's not just a picture of, of somebody who begins to participate in, 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 in morally corrupt things. It's a picture of somebody who becomes tainted and worldly. And as we do that, we see that this has led many, 
Many who would call themselves believers and followers of Christ to agree and to change what we have to offer as a gospel of accommodation. And another thing that we see is that, that a lot of the times we become cynical. You know, that was my own response. In, in my youth, as I began to become intoxicated with the world, as, as, as my own journey down this path of, of not paying attention to an imminent return of Christ, I began to look around me and I became dissatisfied with, with the church, both those who were being faithful and those who were not. And I could come and worship on a Sunday, or I should say I could come to worship on a Sunday, and I could look around me and I could be nothing but cynical about everybody in that building. They could be raising their hands and I could be cynical. They could be worshiping God with all their heart and I could be cynical and judgmental of them. I could be even more judgmental of the ones who came week after week and and showed no joy of the Lord. I began to look and I began to become cynical in my walk. I began to say, why is it that we're even doing this? What what are we doing? Why are we gathering together? Why do we we come and meet week after week if there's no joy? If, if, if I can't look out and see people who are, who are, who are excited, who are, who are abundant and full of the life of Christ, and I began to get cynical myself. So, you know, we see this in a lot of circles. There's a lot of, uh, in the blogosphere on the internet, a lot of cutting one another down. There, there's a lot of ministers throwing stones at one another. And there's a lot of men who are faithfully serving and being obedient to the call of the Lord. And, and they're being mischaracterized and mistreated by others that would call themselves part of the church. You see, but that's what happens to the servant that loses sight of the imminent return of Christ. He begins to be drunk with the cares of this life. As I mentioned, this is not talking about simply a servant who begins to go to the bar every weekend. This is turning every aspect of life into the bar room. Everything that we do becomes tainted with the world. And see, this servant, he has nothing to offer. Because as life begets life, death begets death. The servant who is not feeding on Christ, the servant who is is not himself full, is empty. And thus he has nothing to offer. And I want you to notice, as we pointed out, that this apostasy begins with a simple idea. My master is delayed. The cause of this wickedness is a practical disbelief in Christ's coming. You see, our belief, what we really believe in our heart of hearts, what we we really convicts us, what really drives us, And what we really, really, truly believe will influence how we respond. It will inform how we live. So this may not be, we could have a knowledge uh, of scripture. We can have a knowledge and a doctrine uh, that we hold to about uh, about end times. We can have uh, a doctrine that we hold to about when we think the Lord is coming back. We could even hold a doctrine that says that we believe that he is coming soon. But a, but, a, but a real belief that, that captures our heart and our soul and leads us to something that, that is more than just a mental ascent. That is what the faithful servant who is looking for the imminent return of Christ is doing. He's feasting and abiding in the Lord. 
You know, we're living, as I mentioned, in unprecedented times. And it's, and it's fair to say that about many of the times in history. As history marches on, by definition, we're, we're living in unprecedented times as we march closer and closer to the return of Christ. And I know that there are many times in history where men have believed that, that the imminent return of Christ was near. But, you know, when we're talking about perspective, it's really important that we don't just focus in on, 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 on micro events. You see, for, for me... If you were to look at this perspective, and if we were to turn back the clock 20 years, I just had my 20-year reunion not that long ago. And if you were to turn back the clock 20 years to that 18-year-old that was graduating from high school, going to college, if, if you were to explain to me, if you could see into the future 20 years, and you could tell me what life would be like right now, I don't think I would have believed you at that time. You see, because my perspective was based on what I knew and what I saw, what was right in front of my eyes. And at that particular point in time, it was a a very exciting time. The communists, you know, were, were losing. We were winning. The wall came down. Mr. Gorbachev, bring that wall down. Many of you guys remember that. Democracy was running rampant. And those of, those of you who, who have only known me for a short time, you might take me for not being an optimist, but I want to assure you I am. I've always been. My wife can attest to that. In my heart, I have always believed that, 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 uh, that, that there was opportunities for us to impact our culture, for us to, to change the world, for us to make a difference, for us to turn this ship around. I've always believed that. But in, but in later years, I've also had, had my viewpoint conform, conform to the word of God, which says there are things that are to come, and they are to happen, and they're part of God's timeline. And I understand that as well. But if you were to ask me then, as the young, optimistic, 18-year-old student, people were making more money. There was uh, a, a, an excitement about what was happening around the world. You know, suddenly, for years and years, we'd been under this iron curtain that began to fall, and, and it looked like the light was dawning. And because I was not rooted deeply in the word, because I was not familiar with the gospel the way that I should be, because I didn't have a love for the word, that was the exact moment in time. I, I can remember having the thought, the Lord isn't going to return in my lifetime. He's not going to return in my lifetime. You see, and and that is the message that the enemy would would love to come and plant in each one of our minds. Because what happens when that happens? What happens when that that thought? We see what happens here. Jesus gives us the example, and that's exactly what happened to me. I became intoxicated with the world. You know, there's this lie that happens in that moment. It says, I have time. We have time. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Things are good. You'll have time to take care of that. You'll have time to do those things. And that was what I began to do. And so that led me down a path of many years of self-seeking. And it led me to the point where I needed that, that house of brokenness to happen. But thank goodness the Lord is so faithful. Amen? He brings us 
to our, to our, to our knees. He, he confronts us. He doesn't allow us to continue in our sin. He, he, he speaks to our heart. But it would be a mistake to not look and, 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 and look at the signs of the times in which we're living. You see, why I believe this is so important today, and I, I want you guys to hear me, why I believe this doctrine of the imminent return of Christ is so important is because the times are getting harder. They're getting more difficult for us to walk through. They're getting more difficult because if you took that same kid and you, and you told him what it would be like and that, that he'd be raising his kids in the climate that we're raising our kids in now, I, would have been, I wouldn't have been able to comprehend it because I was only looking at what was in front of me. And because I was only looking at what was in front of me, I lost sight of the imminent return of Christ. I began to doubt his soon coming return. It's a lot easier to look around us right now as we're facing adversity. It's a lot easier when we look around and we see things that are happening in our world that are beginning to to look like things are out of control. To to have uh, an ability to want to focus in on this idea of the soon return of Christ. But I want to share some things with you. You see, this isn't just about morality. This isn't just about the fact, because there was a lot about my life during that season that was, that was very moral. I did the right thing a lot of the time. Still had a, somewhat of a fear of the Lord. And, and it influenced how I lived. But what was more... Upsetting to me was the time that went by, the time that was spent seeking self, the time that was spent chasing after things of this world, the things that had gripped my heart, the things that had had taken hold, you know, whether that was making money, whether that was being successful, whether that was pursuing and being my own boss, my own man. I became very focused on some things that had nothing to do with the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And it led me down a path of of a lot of time spent. You know, maybe for some of you, you can identify with this. I've always been a sports fanatic, right? I've always loved baseball. It was my first love. And as I got a little bit older, I, I became intoxicated with the NBA. I loved basketball. Became a Portland Trailblazers fan during the glory years of Clyde Drexler. And in later times, I became a, a football fan. And I loved NFL football. But you see that when, when these things became to get a hold of my heart, that the signs and the evidences were very clear. You see, there was a time, and it was not that long ago, that I would have preferred during football season to sit at home and watch the TV. You know, I read some statistics this week that really began to and, 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 I'll, and I'll begin to kind of close here, but did you know that the average American spends about 444 minutes a day in front of a screen? 444 minutes of our life is spent in front of a screen. 143 of those minutes, so about two and a half hours, are spent in front of a television. About two and a half of those hours are spent on a mobile device. About 45 minutes on a tablet. These are just averages. And the rest of that time is spent on a desktop computer or a laptop. We live in perhaps one of the most distracted societies that has ever lived.
But you know, the, as the Lord began to awaken me and he began to see and this idea of being asleep, you see, it's not, it's not just about morality. It's about what we do. It's about how we live. It's about how we spend our time. It's about the resources that God has, has given us. Because if we really have a belief in a doctrine in the imminent return of Christ, which I believe many of you do, then it begins to inform how we live and it's beginning to inform what is happening in this church. Is it any wonder that as we set aside a week every year to pray and to fast that God begins to move in our hearts? Is it any wonder? No. As we set everything else aside, as we set these distractions aside and we begin to seek God, he begins to move in our life and in our midst. But I believe it's this, it's this doctrine of imminent return that Jesus is speaking here that keeps us going. It keeps us on the path. When those weeks of fasting and prayer are done, the temptation is so easy to go back to everything and the cares of this life. And you see, in that parable of the seeds that we talked about earlier, we know we're not the seeds that were scattered on the ground and the bird just came and took them away. We know that. You're here. Most of you, I know, and I know you're, 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 you're seeking the Lord. You're, you're passionate about, about him. You love him. So we're not those, those roots that just sprang down but then quickly dried out. Maybe some of you are. I might be speaking to some of you who, who might be skeptics here today. You might not have a relationship with Jesus. Some of you might have had just a quick root that sprung up and then it burned out, and, and you're still in this, in this dead religion of going to church. But more often than not, it's very easy for us to become weighed down with the cares of this life. And, and in much of this warning that Jesus gives us about watching, the, much of that warning is do not be weighed down with the cares of this life. Don't be frightened by what you see happening. You know, what is our response in this day? You know, I woke up this week and... and and my heart broke as I began to read stories about, many of you probably read it, about Planned Parenthood and, and about the selling of, of, uh, of organs. And it's been spun many different ways. And it's not really, I, I don't want to get into that story. It's not really something. But, I, but what broke my heart, this is regardless of the truth of, of underneath what is going on, the fact remains that in our society we've gotten to a place where the parts of a baby are more valuable than the life itself. It hurts my heart. And yet so often, I become callous. And these stories pass me by. So often I find myself praying, Lord, break my, my heart for the lost. You know, we took a trip to Nepal it was a powerful time. God moved mightily in us. We've seen the fruits of what God is doing in this church. And as we sat in an upper room together, we sat in a circle and we, and we called out to God and we prayed and we worshipped him. And as Rory was leading us, he looked us all in the eye and he said, Promise me, promise me that you will hold me to this. That we'll never go back to the way that things were. We'll never go back to the, to the way that we used to walk. We've seen things. We're responsible for things. And yet I have to confess, there have been many times 
since that trip in February where I find myself still consumed by the world and it breaks my heart. We have to keep reminding one another. You know, that's one of the most important things as a church. I hope you'll hear today. This doctrine of imminent return is so important because it keeps us focused on the mission. It keeps us focused on what God is calling us to do. I want you to understand something. Our kids are growing up in an extremely difficult time. If you thought it was hard for you and I to keep on this path of following Christ, if you thought it was difficult for you and I to stay the course, it's tenfold that for our children. You see, things are happening at such a rate now that that it's almost difficult to keep up with. It's accelerating. I I don't know how to to explain it. I was talking with with Mark uh, and Casey this week. I said it's like we we saw for so long a cliff in front of us. We could see it coming. We could see the signs. We were like those who were reading the fig tree and saying, look what's ahead, look what's ahead. But as we got closer and closer, it sped up. And as we went over the edge, it's like we're in a free fall. And we cannot see the bottom other than than destruction. That's what we see. That That is what is destined for our culture right now. You know, it broke my heart as we, as we institutionalized sin. We understand that there are going to be repercussions for that in our culture. Maybe for the first time, many of us will experience things that we've never experienced before. That if you told that 18-year-old kid that these things would be happening, I would have said, there's no way. There's no way. And yet here we are. And I'm telling you something. If you want your kids to stay the course, then you need to feed on Christ. That has to be the center of your home. You have to be the faithful servant. There's not time for us to to mess around and and allow Satan to come in and say, his return is, is not coming. It's not near. You have time. You can always get this together. Today is the day of salvation. And if you want your children to follow Christ, it's my wholehearted belief. I'm speaking to you as a family. You are my family. You are watching out for my kids. And I am watching out for yours. And I'm telling you, we have to keep a doctrine of the imminent return of Christ at the forefront of our homes. It's something that we should be talking about on a regular basis with our kids. We should not be afraid to embrace with them what is happening in our culture and to speak with them about what is happening You know, I mentioned before that we're living in unprecedented times, and I know we've been here a while, so I'm going to wrap this up. But but I want you to understand something, because perspective is really important. And I'm not doing this because I want to give you a sense that, that, that it is at the doorstep, because the Lord tells us already we are to live as if it is at the doorstep. 
But so easy is it for us to be trapped by, by what is happening and the messaging of our culture. So easy is it for us to, be, to be have our, our, our minds distracted and taken askew. And because I didn't have that perspective as an 18-year-old kid, because I was only looking at what was in front of me, I wanted to spend a moment today, and I want to talk to you about why I believe that we are close to the return of Christ. This is just one perspective. A hundred years ago, the center of Christianity was not on this continent. You know, we like to think of ourselves as Americans as the the center of everything. But a hundred years ago, the center of Christianity was actually in Europe. Europe was, was the center of Christianity, and if you were to look at that, you would see that, that the majority of, of, uh, of, of those who would identify as Christ, the majority of where the gospel had been preached was, was, largely, was largely the European continent. The gospel had begun to spread to South America, had begun to spread to North America, but it was largely in Europe. That was the center, if you will, of Christianity. That was just over a hundred years ago, right at the turn of the century. You know, in a hundred years, we've seen some astounding things happen. Regardless of when Christ returns, whether it's today, whether it's a year from now, whether it's ten years from now, a hundred years from now, it doesn't matter. We're living in unprecedented times in history. I hope you guys see that. A hundred years ago, Europe was the center. And within a hundred years, if you were to look at a map of the gospel today, you would see that it has spread all over the face of the earth. There's almost an equal distribution of the gospel. And you know, if we go back to the early part of this teaching, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be, be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You know, for years, men have asked, why hasn't Christ returned? You know, it's no wonder that at times our heart is, is tempted to go in this way of, of, of doubting. After 2,000 years, we're still waiting. Why? I believe it's because, and the Bible would tell us, it's because of God's mercy. You know, Peter tells us that the scoffers would come, and this was part of that beating of the servants. You said scoffers would come, say, where is this coming? You know, that has led to all kinds of theologies. We won't get into them today. It's led to all kinds of directions and theologies and, and, and infighting within the church. And Peter says, know this. Scoffers will come in the last days, saying since the beginning of time, things have continued on as they were. He says, but know this, with the Lord, the day, the, a thousand days is as a year, years is a thousand days. Uh, or a thousand days is as a, a thousand years is as a year. Ah, you know what I'm saying. A day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. He says this. And he says, but know this. The Lord will come. He is not slow in returning except that he wishes that none should perish, but all would come to repentance. That's a pretty powerful thing. Oh, I have it right here. I should have just read it to you. should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord, Savior, through your apostles, knowing that, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. You see, this, is, this isn't about just 
just a, a misunderstanding. This is, this is also rooted in the fact that, that, that we're made of the flesh and that there are some who want to follow the flesh and that there's a temptation. We see it. We see churches that are going the way of the world. You see, we're living in a time where lines are being drawn. It's going to be more difficult than ever to stay on this line and, and, and those that are going to follow Christ and those that are going to follow the world. That's the time that we're living in. He says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world then that existed was deluged with water and perished. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So you see, it's important that we keep this vision in front of us. The Lord has called us to fulfill a mission. And Jeremy, if you want to pull up that video. You see, 100 years ago, that was the case. 50 years ago, Israel came back. After 2,000 years of being, Israel came back into existence. We're living in unprecedented times, friends. As we see our world begin to fall apart, Jesus says, raise your head. The redemption draws near. There's work left to do. I'm going to close by, I want you to watch this video. And then we're going to close and, and, and open this up for a short time of prayer. You see, things are changing. When our perspective is limited to just what's in front of us, it can be easy to lose sight. But when we take it in, we see that the Lord is at work. We see he's, he's moving on the earth. And, and, and my, my hope for you today, church, is we see that God is moving in this church. And for us to weather this storm, for us to keep focused on the task of what God has called us to, we have to heed the words of Jesus. May we continue to have a doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus. May that drive what we do. May that drive our disciple-making. May that drive what we continue to do. May that drive how we, how we raise our families, how we, how we respond to people at work. Because if that takes hold of our heart, I guarantee it will continue to influence this church. It will continue to influence our families and our lives and how we live. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are at work. It would be tempting today to be discouraged by much of what we see going on around us. But Lord, you have called us. You have called us to be busy. You have called us to be about your work, to be faithful servants. Lord, I pray that you would burn in our hearts this, this reminder, this, this truth that you are coming again, and that you are coming soon. May we never begin to question that, Lord. And although we know no dates, we know not the hour that you return, we believe and we hold true to the same thing that your original disciples and apostles believed, which is that you are coming soon. Lord, I don't know how you would have us to respond today. We've been here a long time, Lord. I know that. 
but I sense in my heart. I know that there are many of us, Lord, who need to respond in some way that we wouldn't leave here unchanged, that we wouldn't leave here and go simply back to our lives and the things that are right in front of us and the cares of this life. And Lord, I just want to make an opportunity. Lord, maybe there are some who have entered here today and and you've never, ever surrendered your life to Jesus. You're a skeptic. You're walking your own path. I want you to understand today that you can never again say that you haven't heard the truth of Jesus and his return. He has loved you enough to bring you to here today. He's loved you enough to bring you to hear his gospel. And something happens when the word goes forth. It either hardens us or it breaks us. And Lord, I pray that today we would be broken before you. Lord, for some of us, perhaps this is just a need to bow our knee, to repent. Maybe we don't understand what it means to have a hunger for your word. Maybe we don't understand what it means to abide in Christ, but today the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts and he's moving us. He's moving us out of our comfort, our comfort zone. He's moving us into a place of further relationship with him. Lord, I just want to make available an opportunity to pray. To respond to what you're doing. To respond to the Holy Spirit calling on our hearts. Maybe for some of you as, as fathers, as husbands, you realize that there are things in your life that, that have been affected by not abiding in Christ. Maybe for some of you who are students, you've never really had the opportunity to live outside of a faith that was other than your parents. It's not your own. You believe in Jesus, but you've not experienced relationship to him on a deeper level. I don't know what that looks like today. But Father, we just bow our hearts before you. We honor you as the soon coming king. And if that's you today, I pray, Lord, that you would gather our hearts. You would bow our knees. That you would take a moment, even right now, and turn your heart to the Lord. Call on his name. You see, we need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus teaches us in Matthew and in Luke that even as we as earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, that the Father knows how to give us, how much more will he give good gifts to us? How much more will he give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if that's you today, Ask him. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would 
that you would shape my heart as a father, as a husband, as someone who is out working in the world, that I would have something to offer and something to give. Lord, I confess that there are many times where it's been easy to run back and be choked out by the cares of this life. But Lord, I bow my heart before you today. And I thank, I thank you that you're so faithful to us. That you're faithful to bring us back to this place of first love with you. And for many of us, that's just what we need. It's just a, an opportunity to come back and return to the first love. We've forsaken our first love. We've forgotten our first love. We've allowed other things in this world, other things in our life to take its place. To take your place, the rightful place you have as the king of our hearts. We've given our time, we've given our energies, we've given our efforts and the resources that you've given us to use for your kingdom. And so often we've, we've taken that and we've squandered it or we've, we've spent it on ourselves. And Lord, I know it's not wrong for us to, to enjoy your creation and the things that you've given us. But Lord, may we be, may we be so balanced, may we be focused, may this, this doctrine of your soon return burn an urgency in our hearts to be about doing your work. May you continue to birth that in this church. The work that you are doing, I pray you'll be faithful to complete it. Lord, I thank you that you've met us here. Lord, and I don't know if I've communicated everything the way that I've wanted to communicate it today. But I trust in your word. It is truth and it is life. And I pray that we will leave here and we will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. As we see